0: go ahead and kick us off then uh with my uh, usual wonderful joie de vivre uh thank all of you for joining us today at the Deleuze and Guattari quarantine collective uh, we you can find us anywhere at twitter dngqc you can find us on patreon uh, dgqc every dollar helps helping us break even we're starting to do a little bit more and more and uh, we may end up having to uh have a little bit of a our own tools hosted by a thing so we're gonna be maybe doing a little bit more with needing a couple bucks to do that but we'll see what happens we've got a, apparently some big plans or at least we're at least sort of discussing them um today we're gonna to be going over uh, uh, uh two point seven Vanti Oedipus, social repression and psychic repression uh it is uh not a terribly difficult chapter to get through but i think an incredibly important section and one that we're going to spend time really making sure everyone has a grasp of and i'm going to be asking myself lots of questions as we go and making people defend some ideas because i re listened to our old our recap of social repression and our old recording uh of this and it's uh my understanding has come significantly further and i think a lot of us have had the same happen so i'm excited to go through that any last notes any last comments before i push us into the book itself yeah
1: i prepared a uh, epigram for us what yeah a little passage to to kick you off river what? run past even atoms from swerve of shore to bend of bay brings us by a commodious vices of recirculation back to health castle and environs.
0: Thank you. Yes, it's lovely. Good choice. Uh, any, uh, anything else? Anyone else? Had, is there another large, wonderful piece that anyone would like to read? That I feel like we should just have a discussion about *Finnegans Wake* now. All right. Well, then I'm going to go ahead and dive in. Uh, this is. Uh, you can follow along, PDF, on the screen. Uh, I will share inside of the chat right now. Uh, if you need to, I've got it up. Uh, otherwise, uh, off we go. Um, we have attempted to analyze the form, the reproduction, the formal cause, the method, and the condition of the edible Triangle. But we have postponed the analysis of the real forces, the real causes on which the triangulation depends. The general line of the response is simple. It has been sketched out by Reich. It is social repression, the forces of social repression. This response, however, leaves two problems untouched and makes them even more urgent. On the one hand, the specific relationship between psychic repression and social repression. On the other hand, the particular situation of Oedipus in this social repression-psychic repression system. The two problems are obviously linked, because if psychic repression did bear on incestuous desires, it would thereby gain a certain independence and primacy as a condition for constituting a system of exchange or any society, in relation to social repression, which would then concern only the returns of the psychically repressed in a constituted society. Therefore, we should first of all consider the second question, Does psychic repression bear upon the Oedipus complex as an adequate expression of the unconscious? Must we even follow Freud in saying that the Oedipus complex, according to one or the other of its two poles, is either repressed, not without leaving behind traces and returns that will be confronted by the prohibitions, or suppressed, not without being passed on to the children with whom the same story begins all over again? We wonder if Oedipus in fact expresses desire. If Oedipus is desired, then it is indeed on it that psychic repression comes to bear. Now the Freudian argument is of a nature to leave us wondering. Freud quotes a remark by Sir J. G. Fraser, according to which, quote, the law only forbids men to do what their instincts incline them to do. Instead of assuming, therefore, from the legal prohibition of incest that there is a natural aversion to incest, we ought rather to assume that there is a natural instinct in favor of it. End quote. In other words, if it is prohibited, this is because it is desired. There would be no need to prohibit what is not desired. Once again, it is this confidence in the law, the unawareness of the ruses and the procedures of the law, that leaves us wondering. As we've been seeing in the last handful of sections, Uh, Deleuze and Guattari are finally bringing to bear what they've been discussing in terms of their machinic unconscious, the syntheses, the the nature of how our desires produced, all of these things, uh, to bear on Oedipus, to actually describe and discuss how Oedipus functions within uh, society, within our repression, within how we uh, sort of come to be. This paragraph is the opening of that final bit where they discuss very specifically, the nature of the edible prohibition and where it comes from, how laws work, and uh, I would say uh, their note here is essentially that of saying, uh, understand that you have a blind spot, that you have this natural confidence in the law that, well, of course, if, if the only things we prohibit are things that are desired, uh, not really realizing the actual things that work here. Uh, I love this opening paragraph for this section. Is there questions here? Is there any thoughts or comments that anyone has for this bit? Uh, before I dive in and start breaking apart a couple things I want to make sure we get to. I am happy to sit in awkward silence because I want input. One thing
2: pops to my mind is... Uh, it's not even necessarily related to this book as much as like a, an investigative or critical method uh, that's used in mathematics is uh, when a problem uh, can't be solved one of the one of the uh, techniques is instead of like trying to bring more mathematical apparatuses to bear on the problem is instead to like, examine any form of like presupposition for sort of like an arbitrary decision. And that's what uh Deleuze and Guattari here are doing at the very last sentence of this paragraph. It's the confidence in the law, the unawareness of the ruses and procedure of the law that leaves them wondering whether or not Freud has had or even pulled the wool over his own eyes in this kind of uh like adherence to the idea that it's forbidden because I desire it.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, and it's an edge they're taking with it. I think that's unique where it's, it's almost uh, one step further where it's, yes, you are forbidding it. And therefore I desire it. Uh, I think they take it almost one further step where it's by the nature of how you're forbidding it. It is causing desire that, that, that double bind that comes with it uh, is kind of their their method here and i really it's one of the things that attached me to it i find really interesting um i, I want to go back because the this breaks apart a handful of things they're going to be discussing in this section and i want to make sure we get to them um the idea of um that, if psychic repression did bear on incestuous desires, it would therefore thereby gain a certain independence and primacy as a condition for constituting a system of exchange in any society in relation to social repression, which would then concern only the returns of a psychically repressed in a constituted society. It's a fucking complicated sentence. That they're 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 talking here about the idea that look, if it turns out that, hey, psychic repression did bear on incestuous desires, that there is kind of this. Uh, nature that uh, we have to suppress things and as they talk about sort of the two sides of suppression um, if if this is true that it bears directly on the psychic repression that we experience then actually the nature of how our society would be formed would actually this it would gain this independence and and it would be a condition for constituting a system of exchange Uh, the the way for us to uh sort of uh, how to put it, um, if Oedipus is a thing that matters to me and is a thing I directly have to repress, then there is, a, by nature, the way that our that social flows work as we grow into society, there would be a need for us to uh, discuss social repression. There would be a need for us to have uh, sort of these larger things that are sort of uh, coalescing it and holding it together to allow us to have this repression inside of a constituted society. So that's, that's the first place they start with. And that's the second question Then they move to, where they go, well, then look, does psychic repression bear upon the Oedipus complex as an adequate expression of the unconscious? Is this the place to start with? Is this the thing that needs to be dealt with first? Does psychic repression bear upon it? This is the question that they're asking. Um, and the dis- difference between repressed and suppressed, in my understanding, is uh, repressed is uh Repressed is happening uh, with social repression. Uh, Suppression is when I I use psychic repression effectively. Um, The repression is uh, being forcibly pushed in. Suppressed is sort of the healthy response that Freud may say. And and Ken, I know you're in the room. I'd love uh, your response. But uh, suppression would be the healthy thing where I actually place myself correctly in the triangulation of mother-father, I've oedipalized myself properly, and now, yes, I get to be healthy because I'm suppressed. If it's repressed, that's where uh, shit pokes out the sides and I start having broken stuff happening. It's, it's bad. It's not the best. Is that a close approximation, Ken?
3: Yeah, I suppose. I'm actually not too clear on suppression. I'm guessing suppression is what people usually think of whenever they think of repression. Because for repression there's there was nothing there to begin with. Is sort of the weird idea. But yeah, that sounds good.
0: Yeah, and it looks like the only times they really use this is actually in this chapter. Well they use it a little bit later on, so that works. Um yeah, we'll go back nope, go back to that page, you stupid thing. Why Why would you not go back to this page? Of course. Let's make this painful. Um, that's how I see the, the difference uh, is kind of the two of those. Um, anyway, uh, that any questions on this? Any last thoughts on this paragraph before we move on?
1: Yeah, I want to try and expand that a little bit. Um... It's like the two problems, right? If psychic repression did bear on incestuous desires, right, it would become a condition for constant society, a system of exchange in society, right? So if there's an incestual prohibition, that becomes a condition for exchange. So like, uh, you know, commodity exchange, business being performed in society. Does psychic repression bear upon the Oedipus complex as an adequate expression of the unconscious? Right, so is Oedipus the object of psychic repression? And if so, is Oedipus then the expression of the unconscious? So there's kind of two things happening there, right? Is psychic repression directed toward Oedipus? And if it is, or maybe to to follow that up, right, with a kind of a, a more direct question, does the unconscious express itself through Oedipus, right? So this last part when you guys are talking about uh, repression and suppression, I think this is kind of the main difference, right? When uh, they write, so there's two poles of the Oedipus complex, right? It's either repressed, not without leaving behind traces and returns that will be confronted by the prohibitions, or suppressed, not without being passed on to children with whom the same story begins all over. So I think that first part in terms of repression, that sounds to me like they're it's focusing on how Oedipus is expressed. Right. And this would go back to that second question. Whereas in terms of suppression, it sounds to me like what they're talking about is how Oedipus functions in its change. Right. So this would be that first question.
0: Boskirt says, uh, one is individualistic versus the other being universal. And I think that's a fair also way to say that. Wouldn't you agree, Jack? Yeah, it's always weird there because the psychic are we going to
1: focus on a a person's psyche or are we going to expand it to a collective psyche it gets weird with psychoanalysis right because this seems to me like they're bearing on like this sounds like they're looking at uh civilization's discontents here where oedipus becomes a condition for society right we need larger fathers that are are, are going to be our institutions
0: well, and I think that's their critique, is if, if we have to start from the place that it is determinate for the individual, uh, and it is sort of, let's say, in our nature as people that we have this complex and we need to become properly suppressed or repressed, whatever wording we're using, uh, in order to integrate into society, and society needs to also be triangulated in turn to continue that, uh, all of it's predicated upon this idea of, is the necessity. Personally, start with the person. If psychic repression did bear on incestuous desires, if, if I'm able to do that, it would thereby gain independence and primacy, if that's the case. But then this would be the question. How do you know? If it's prohibited, like, that's their question. It is, as they say at the last sentence, uh, it is this confidence in the law, the unawareness of the ruses and procedures of the law that leaves us wondering. the The thing, I think, it's fucking hard to argue with that the law hardly is about suppressing people's real desires and more about molding people into the way society wants behavior to exist and people to exist. Uh, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say, and I think that's their core sort of comment with that.
1: You're putting your finger on the uh, the question they're asking, right? Because it's sort of like a chicken or the egg here, right? Is Oedipus or is incestuous desire the condition for its change? If so, then how would the law create that condition, right? Because wouldn't it already have to be a condition for the law? Right. So there's kind of a, there's something there that doesn't quite follow. Right.
3: Yeah. And what it would be, would be drive, the difference between drive sexuality in general and genital sexuality and psychoanalysis. So pairing, genital sexuality with incest prohibition and trying to suggest that that is representative of the productions of the unconscious as sort of a mute point it doesn't really make any sense at all but if we sort of abstract out of Oedipus and get away from genital sexuality and make it about drive sexuality where there is a fundamental um, negativity in the link between knowledge and sexuality then i think the psychoanalytic point is uh more coherent or it's it's at least more complete but it lacks internal consistency um whereas it's it's sort of nonsensical to make some sort of ad hoc move saying oedipus is what civilization is predicated on I mean, that is an ad hoc move, and then make that an a priori, and it just doesn't make sense. But the sexuality thing, I think, can be argued for. But
1: well, they almost give it a little bit more credit, right, because is it in, is incest the condition for Oedipus, right? So it's actually a nicely, I think it's a really square treatment of oedipus because they're not saying, they're not complaining the two and we'll see this throughout chapter three particularly, right? Is incest the condition for Oedipus, right? And And not.
3: Sexuality is.
1: Right. And so this is really important because we're seeing how Oedipus, having having gone through these paralogisms, right? We know the unconscious doesn't produce Oedipus at this point. So how does Oedipus get produced, right, is the question they're raising here. It
3: would be something like language.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, yes, they're going to be answering that, but that's, I think Jack's point is that's, I mean, we're only on the first paragraph. Let's give it a few paragraphs. Yeah,
3: I'm sorry.
0: I'm going to jump to the next paragraph because apparently Ken's really chomping at the bit to get to the next cha- next entire chapter. So uh, let's uh, jump ahead. Uh, the immortal father. I, I do want to mention, uh, if you haven't read Celine's death in the installment plan, also called a uh, death on credit in English. Um it is really wonderful and depressing. Uh, the immortal father of Celine's death on the installment plan cries out. So you want to see me die, eh? Is that what you want? Speak up. We didn't want anything of the sort. However, we didn't want the train to be daddy or the station mommy. We only wanted peace and innocence and to be left alone to our ma- to machine our little machines. How oh, does hiring production? Of course pieces from the bodies of the mother and the father are taken up in the connections, parental appellations, crop up in the disjunction of the chain. The parents are there as ordinary stimuli of an indifferent nature that trigger the becomings of adventures, of races, and of continents. But what a bizarre Freudian mania to relate to Oedipus what overflows it on every side and from all angles, beginning with the hallucination of books and the delirium of apprenticeships the teacher as father substitute, and the book as family romance. Freud couldn't abide a simple humorous remark by Jung, to the effect that Oedipus must not really exist, since even the primitive prefers a pretty young woman to his mother or grandmother. If Jung betrayed everything, it was nevertheless not by way of this remark, which can only suggest that the mother functions as a pretty girl as much as pretty girl functions as mother. Since the main thing for the primitive or the child is to form and put into motion their desiring machines, to make flows circulate and to perform breaks in these flows, I do have to say Jung's joke here is a, it, it's a great one. I'm probably getting the fuck canceled out of them these days, but it's a it's a pretty good line. Um, it's a pretty good line. It just is. Um, but it's a and their response to it, I think, is. Is is pretty fantastic as well. It's like, yes, of course, a man would prefer a pretty young woman, but that's only because the pretty young woman is his mother, and the mother is the pretty young woman. That's the sort of joke, the bizarre Freudian mania that they call, and they're going through here.
1: Yeah, that's it. Because Jung's joke shows us something, but it also can be immediately right. You can Oedipus can be immediately recovered just as well, right? And it's supposed to show us something, not necessarily just about Edithus, right? But we're seeing something particularly about how these paralogisms function, right? We're seeing the the global persons called out. We're seeing their
0: functionality called out here. Yes, and and as they say, uh, the the caveman or the child, uh, that's the same thing. Uh, The primitive or the child, all they want to do is put into motion their desiring machines. That's it. Um, a great little line. Um, Again, going back to the idea that all we want is our desiring machines. Any questions on this paragraph at all? All right, I will continue to the next paragraph. The law tells us, you will not marry your mother, and you will not kill your father. And we docile subjects say to ourselves, Oh, so that's what I wanted. Will it ever be suspected that the law discredits and has an interest in discrediting and disgracing the person it presumes to be guilty, the person the law wants to be guilty and wants to be made to feel guilty? One acts as if it were possible to conclude directly from psychic repression the nature of the repressed, and from the prohibition the nature of what is prohibited. There we have a typical paralogism, Yet another, the fourth paralogism that we shall have to call displacement. For what really takes place is that the law prohibits something that is perfectly fictitious in the order of desire or of the instincts, so as to persuade its subjects that they had the intention corresponding to this fiction. This is indeed the only way the law has of getting a grip on intention of making the unconscious guilty. In short, we are not witness to a system of two terms, where we could conclude from the formal prohibition what is really prohibited. Instead, we have before us a system of three terms, where this conclusion becomes completely illegitimate. Distinctions must be made. The repressing representation which performs this repression, the repressed representative on which the repression actually comes to bear, the displaced represented which gives a falsified apparent image that is meant to trap desire. So we come to the fourth paralogism. Does anyone want to take the- a crack at it? Go for it, Ben. Uh, I
2: was going to say the the repressing representation which performs the repression, the repressed representative on which repression comes to bear, and the displaced represented which traps desire is like a huge uh, idea going forward, right? for the rest of the book, basically.
0: Yeah, it's uh, significantly important. Because, again, uh, as much as they talk about Oedipus and we are focusing on it, it's not Oedipus alone. Oedipus is a type of structure that has this functionality. Uh, We're talking about representation and prohibition and how social repression ultimately bears upon desire. And that's their last thing here. They go through this. This is the fourth paralogism the law comes along and says you can't have a thing that's all it has to do now all of this is pure representation it's not you can't have a thing i'm not talking about the cookie that the child's reaching for like you can't have that nope nope and I slap his hand away no you don't put your hand in the hot pan like you can't have these things that's not what we're talking about we're talking about the idea of representing a concept the oh you don't what desire your mother? You can't, you aren't allowed to fuck your mom. You're not allowed to, what, what? Oh, well, that's, let me think about that. Let me deal with that representation. And as that gets in, they have their handful of passes this, this goes through. And uh, if there's anything in this book that I genuinely hate, it's the series of repressing R- the RRs over and over that <laughs> makes this so difficult, like conceptually to talk about. But Uh, it's sort
2: of like that uh don't push the button thing right or like uh you see like those old cartoons uh or like do not push right over the button or like if your parents when you're a child tell you like don't open this cabinet and it's like in a room you never go in anyway but now now it's like a thing it's like it's not something you wanted until you were told you couldn't do it and because you're being told you couldn't do it, you're like, Oh, I must have
0: it's it's close wanted to that. do that. It's it's close that's, to that's, that because that's it's, what displacement is, right? Yeah, it's 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 and it's a couple steps because it's not just as easy as uh you're not allowed to have uh, you're not allowed to have uh sex with your mom and you go, Oh, cool, I wanna fuck my mom. Like it's not like just a twist. Like it's there's a process to it and uh, the big deal here is how the uh, representative, and they call it the displacement, sort of takes place. Uh, as they put it, uh, the first is the repressing representation. Now, this is the thing that performs the repression. In this case, we're talking about the Oedipus Complex or the law. that uh, actually does it. It's the actual representation that is doing the repressing. Then, you have the repressed Representative, God, I hate this terminology. We need better words for these things. Can we work on better words for these things? Because I really hate this. Um, the repressed, I mean, rep- sorry, go ahead.
2: The repressed representative is like it's it, it, it is what it is, though. It's like the representative of what's being repressed, right? So,
0: yes, like, but it's a what, terrible what other word. term. No, it's just because it sucks to say out loud. That's all. I just hate saying the repressed representative repressed representation, and like it's just there needs to be better stuff. They have so many great little poetic moments, and this is what they went with. That's all and the words are great. I mean, it means what it means. I just hate the saying it aloud. It probably sounds better in French. The repressed representative like just I can just bet it just sounds better um anyway this the second part is the repressed representative uh. Uh, uh, on which the repression actually comes to bear. Uh, the actual thing that is being repressed, the actual element, and then you have the displaced represented, which is the falsified apparent image. The your dis your the representation gets displaced. It gets moved from where it actually is. Your actual desire as it exists and as it's being pumped through your desiring machines, as it's making connections and as it exists. Sort of triangulated on the b w o and inside of you subjectively that gets moved, and that moves away suddenly it's this other image, and that image is what traps your desire that representation this this these three lines' like one sentence is if there is a singular thing that they're kind of demanding people understand about the book, this is it. this is not against Oedipus, this is against this nature of how desire gets taken in by all of these things. Uh, We've had so many talks. Does someone else want to take a crack at this?
1: Uh, Sure. So, yeah, we're talking about the fourth paralogism, right? So displacement, and this is what they're gonna have with the law, right? With this invocation of displacement, supposing the unconscious has produced a desire um, for some sort of connection, here we've got, obviously, with marriage, you know, there, there is a sexual connotation there, right? The displacement moves. And this is the thing. You're not going too deep into explaining this right here, right? So we don't want to – I think it'll be easier to get into this as we go deeper in. But the, whatever desire is present, produced by the unconscious, is being displaced, right? So when the subject says that's what I wanted, they're talking about the third so um the third synthesis here, right? So that's what it was in the syllogistic sense, right? In that sense, what they're talking about is for the subject coming into relationship with the with the law, with the prohibition, right? It affects the synthesis. it affects the unconscious production, but it's not what the unconscious itself has produced. In this sense, it looks like they're even suggesting there's a certain preconscious element here, right? Because now the subject is um, considering desire, right? Considering the preconscious, particularly here, which I think is part of the displacement. And instead of being having been produced by it, it's looking at a, a certain new production, which is going to take us into this um, this repression, right?
0: Yes.
3: Yeah. So maybe this will help. Uh, desire doesn't have like any single object um, as produced in the unconscious. Desire desires desire, right? And so a representation um, sort of fiddles with that and and makes it seem as if desire has a single object. But the problem here is that so say, say you at one point in time idealized some sort of role or some sort of, um, uh, profession. And, and you've invested all of your time and energy into this profession and you're almost there. Like, like say it's becoming, I don't know, a lawyer or something. And on that day, you feel a tremendous amount of anxiety. Uh, because now this object that you thought was your desire, uh, turns out, not to be the thing. What you desired was desire itself, not becoming a lawyer. So now the representation falls and you get anxiety.
0: And it, and it extends to so many things. Like again, here we're talking about Oedipus because we're able to spend a lot of time because Oedipus has been really broken down. But grab anything where we have any level of semi-prohibition that seems to lead to other things. Uh, talk about how you're not allowed to Do drugs? You're not allowed to smoke reefer. Hang out with the black kids. Like whatever it is. Over the last like 300 years, you can start talking about the the way that these prohibitions exist. Desire doesn't give a shit. Desire is just desiring. It's wanting to connect and disconnect and see what's around and do stuff. It's it's a two-year-old inside of a room that's covered in like all kinds of colorful things. It's always wanting to connect to everything. The moment you've done this and you've said, actually, this is what you're not allowed to do it's it's an idea and it suddenly becomes this secondary thing that inserts itself and traps desire to that visual don't do this don't do that don't do this and it completely breaks and it's it's yes both nails it it's uh we we live in a society that is deeply this we live inside of a place of representation that's gonna be a big thing later by the way um so it's it's understanding that this is not just that I want to get to the next uh, couple of paragraphs because as jack said like we're this is just the first set about it but we are going to spend time now the rest of this book going over this because when we talk about and we will schizoanalysis for example it's not about simply tossing in oh here's what you don't want here's where you're unhealthy it's about figuring out what is with with anyone what are there paralogisms and with displacement it's not about saying oh cool you want this thing you must just want it it's like hey wait why what's the things how's it working what's your representations but can i see a representation sir uh, kind of thing instead of uh, the classic setup but i'll continue the next paragraph um such before you do okay
1: i just want to point this is what i mean about like they're going to get into this more directly to explain it so we'll bookmark it there but um to me the big thing we want to take from this paragraph is what the law does here because we saw in, in the previous sections that the law is a paralogism of command right so the unconscious gives commandments right um which is kind of an interesting way of phrasing it uh but that's very important because what the law is doing here right we're talking about how in a certain sense, what the conditions are of society in this in this manner, right? And they're using the paralogisms to build this up. You know, we just talked about how the mother and the pretty woman, right, uh, and not the Julia Roberts' uh, sense necessarily function for the par- first paralogism. We're seeing how law functions to create, um, to create, to be a part of displacement. Honestly, it just creates it. It's caught up in that, right? It has a function within it and that's very important because it's not the whole story there and we're seeing this point about the subjectivity right the effectivity the intensity that hits the subject even when we see the this point about intentionality right as we were just saying desire doesn't have intention you know this really does sound like we're moving to the pre-conscious unconscious altogether there
0: yeah and it's i mean again um we're gonna get into this there's so much to talk about i would just love to because this is again i I think it's super important in the book but uh, as i just wrote it's the idea of the desiring that which is forbidden instead of basically taking on the idea of going excellent everyone desires these things that's why they are forbidden it's like no actually actually uh by making a thing forbidden here is how it functions and here's how it changes us and this is how it changes how our desires work and how representation works within it. It's, uh, it's a great way to sort of break that down. Um, but, next paragraph. Such is the nature of Oedipus, the sham image. Repression does not operate through Oedipus, nor is it directed at Oedipus. It is not a question of the return of the repressed. Oedipus is a factitious product of psychic repression it is only the represented, insofar as it is induced by repression. Repression cannot act without displacing desire, without giving rise to a consequent desire, already all warm for punishment, and without putting this desire in the place of the antecedent desire on which the repression comes to bear in principle or in reality. Ah, so that's what that was. Again, uh, I'm actually going to jump to the next paragraph because so it was a tiny one Uh, because i always write again
1: third synthesis
0: (laughs) yes it's uh, the 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 whole thing is again we we exist essentially like the subject exists as a machine to justify its own existence and believe that it exists so that's oh that's that's me oh that's what that was oh cool that's my desires i'm all proud it's uh yeah Um, i have in my text uh this paragraph ends at the end of the page is that accurate for everyone else yeah, so the very bottom 115 with the word
1: grasping.
0: Excellent. Because Just asking because it said 119 and I knew that's not right. D.H. Uh, Lawrence, who does not struggle against Freud in the name of the rights of the ideal, but who speaks by virtue of the flows of sexuality and the intensities of the unconscious, and who is incensed and bewildered by what Freud is doing when he closets sexuality in the Oedipal Nursery, has a foreboding of this operation of displacement, and protests it with all his might. No, Oedipus is not a state of desire and the drives. It is an idea, nothing but an idea, that repression inspires in us concerning desire. Not even a compromise, but an idea in the service of repression, its propaganda, or its propagation. Quote, The incest motive, is a logical deduction of the human reason, which has recourse to this last extremity, to save itself, which first and foremost is a logical deduction made by the human reason, even if unconsciously made, and secondly is introduced into the affective passional sphere, where it now proceeds to serve as a principle for action. This has nothing to do with the active unconscious, which sparkles, vibrates, travels. We realize that the unconscious contains nothing ideal, nothing in the least conceptual, and hence nothing in the least personal, since personality, like the ego, belongs to the conscious or mental subjective self. So the first analyses are, or should be, so impersonal that the so called human relations are not involved. The first relationship is neither personal nor biological, a fact which psychoanalysis has not succeeded in grasping. Well, that's kind of an absolutely wonderful summation of that. That's absolutely a wonderful summation of that. Uh, Are there any questions on this paragraph before I dive forward? Because I think that was nice and crisp. Uh, Again, going over the idea of, this is an idea that, that desire doesn't give a shit. Like, it's... Doing what it's doing, the unconscious is doing its thing, and then anything that is personal—and that's really the key phrasing from Lawrence here—anything that is personal, the human relations, the social relations, this doesn't, this isn't part of the unconscious. The unconscious doesn't know Brooks and Jack talk occasionally, and that we're doing. The the unconscious doesn't exist in that place. That's the conscious. That's the ego. To Lawrence, The, the unconscious is there. So the first relationship is neither personal nor biological. And psychoanalysis hasn't made that leap.
1: Yeah, and this is what I mean about like the preconscious. You know, what Lawrence is highlighting here is part of how this fourth, synth- uh, this fourth, fourth synth- the fourth paralogism works, right? So we'll get into how those three terms function as we go through this section. But the big thing they're calling out right now, right, is that the function of Oedipus. First of all, Oedipus. It's not the whole of the paralogisms in that, right? It has a function in relation to them, right? And a very important one, because although Oedipus is an idea, right, it still circulates, right? It, it's not produced by the unconscious, but it affects the unconscious. It displaces desires, and that's very critical here, because that's going to be... And, and this is even what Freud's concerned with the civilization's discontents, right? Um, in a sense, it is a question of, like, why do people desire own repression right? Why desire father figures in the form of institutions? And this displacement is, I think, really critical in the creation of a
0: what they're calling a consequent desire, right? All right, I will continue to move. Uh, I want to make sure uh, James Michael Schrift. Oh, Xanax. Oh, that's a wonderfully complicated name. Uh, oh, you have you have Sniffy. That's your profile. Excellent. Um, if, if do any of you have questions or comments or thoughts, uh, it's it's worth asking. This is again central to this, and I can happy to go through the whole chapter, uh, the section, and then we'll chat afterwards. And you can ask openly because you know uh, maybe you want to see if something's coming. But uh, I think we're doing an okay job so far describing it. I'm not terribly upset with our performance at this point. Oedipal desires are not at all repressed, nor do they have any reason to be. They are nevertheless in an intimate relationship with psychic repression, but in a different manner. Oedipal desires are the bait, the disfigured image by means of which repression catches desire in the trap. If desire is repressed, this is not because it is desire for the mother and for the death of the father. On the contrary, desire only becomes that only because it is repressed, it takes on that mask, only under the reign of the repression that models the mask for it and plasters it on its face. Besides, it is doubtful that incest was a real obstacle to the establishment of society, as the partisans of an exchange's conception claim. We have seen that there were other obstacles. The real danger is elsewhere. If desire is repressed, it is because every position of that of desire, no matter how small, is capable of calling into question the established order of a society. Not that desire is asocial, on the contrary. But it is explosive. There is no desiring machine capable of being assembled without demolishing entire social sectors. Despite what some revolutionaries think about this, desire is revolutionary in its essence. Desire, not left-wing holidays— and no society can tolerate a position of real desire without its structures of exploitation, servitude, and hierarchy being compromised. That's a lot they're saying here. That's a lot. Um, let's start. Let's start with the beginning. Um, again, uh, they they open up the same discussion. Uh, edible desires are the bait. Uh, they are not actually what is repressed. We are not actually repressing edible desires uh desire gets grabbed it, it desire gets repressed it's uh not because of i want to actually fuck my mom and, and kill my dad but, but brooks you're cutting brooks in and 50 out 50 really 50. bad. oh shit really is that any better uh, uh say more words i am gonna say a few more words now oh no internet's going away
1: The first bit was a little warbly, but it, even now...
0: My internet's dying. Yeah,
2: yeah it sounds like it's an internet connection issue more than anything else.
0: Okay. he sounds okay. good to me now. Now I'm back. Okay. Am I back? You're
4: yeah.
0: back. Okay, so this is why uh, it sucks to do this on a home connection. It's the way it works. Uh, I'm back. Hello, everyone. Where did I cut off? Where did it get fucked up?
2: basically as soon as you started talking uh excellent yeah
0: oh good that's i didn't say anything important luckily fuck um i had an entire complete thought i think i'll edit that into what i'm about to say because i think i said it better the first time but we'll see um to go in order I, i was just going in order for the whole thing um uh, the, again, thing they're talking about here is that Oedipal desires are not the thing that is actually repressed when we are repressing them. Uh, and there is other things I'll discuss, but there, there's a lot. Um, and and psychic repression is repressed. Like there's, there's a complex thing happening here, but it's that Oedipal desires are actually the bait, the image with which repression catches desire in its trap. That's, this, that's the twist they're playing with it. Rep- representation grabs desire. And if desire is repressed, it's not because I want to fuck my mom and kill my dad. It's actually that uh, it, it, it only is that because it's, it, it, it's that mask only under the reign of repression that models the mask for it. That the the repression shapes the mask. The law shapes the desire. It forces it into the shape that it needs to be in. And as they then go on, and I this last bit I know is basically a summation of what's coming in all of chapter three um at we didn't have to somehow bypass a lot of people have said this that you need to bypass uh edipalization in order to have a society let's have a society let's do this thing and it's like no no there's there's a lot of other things actually there's a lot of other problems that are part of that whole thing uh this is not it this is not where it starts this is not where it ends there's a lot more going on there and uh the desire itself uh as a thing is actually explosive uh it would if a desiring machine was ever actually formed it would demolish entire social sectors that the and we'll get into how all of this works i kind of want to do a preview but that's quick summation for me of this uh chapter this uh paragraph it's a lot i said it better the first time Goddamn damn internet
1: yeah, and this links us back to what we were talking about in the first paragraph, right, with this question of suppression and repression. But I think ultimately, you know, a kind of simple way of saying it is that social uh, that psychic repression isn't necessarily an inherent state of the psyche, right? And I don't believe in psychoanalysis necessarily believes that either. But it's an act of repressing, right? And the explanation here is a little bit different, yeah. You know, because in this, it's not that Oedipus... How to say this? Well, to borrow, like to use a quote, right? The real danger is elsewhere. If desire is repressed, it is because every position of desire, no matter how small, is capable of calling into question the established order of society. Not that desire is asocial. On the contrary. So, right? Why? Why does Oedipus um, Why does Oedipus become something that's created? Right? What's the conditions for its construction? And we get, like you're saying, we get this in chapter three, but one of the aspects is the process. And Freud does touch on this a little bit, that there's a point about society where it seems to need to be edipolizing, and yet it doesn't want to be edipolizing, right? There's this kind of weird tension where it's it creates its repression, but it also doesn't want to be repressed, right? And you can kind of understand that here in the sense that the unconscious doesn't repress itself, right? And yet the unconscious encounters repression and is um masked by it. I like that terminology a lot, right? It wears the mask of repression in a sense. Um it's affected to, to move certain ways, right, to act a certain way, and yet we and this is that tension building up, right? And yet the unconscious doesn't produce itself in that manner. One of the bits here that I really love about, like, the ending. Whenever Brooks, can me. you can you say I am Iron Man for me? Oh, no, is it all fucked up again? Yes, but before you... line real quick. I am Iron Man. Yes! Okay, now you gotta fix it.
4: Fuck. God, I hate everything right now. What is with me.
0: In the ass. It's it's is he's got the is that, that any better? That is that any better?
1: Um, it's better, but it's still, it's still warbly. It's still warbly.
0: Excellent. All right. Um, this should be a little bit, a bit better. Say more words for us. Oh, I'm gonna keep keep saying words for you, Jack. Don't worry.
1: That's what I want.
0: Yeah, it's fixed. <laughs> All right. God damn it. All right, one sec. I have to turn my ratio up a little bit higher. There we go. All right. Sorry, my I, I think I lost like three programs while I was doing this just now and when my internet decided to die. Um, so, of course. Is it back? Is it all fucked up again? Yeah. We can understand you, but it's like, it's really spotty. What in the world? What in the world? Seriously. That's
1: good. I don't know what did it, but you actually sound good now.
0: Okay, whatever. I'm just going to start talking then until this fails and fucks up again. Um, so, uh, the last bit, as Michael was just translating for us, where they say, and I've never understood the line, I, I, I desire not left-wing holidays. Uh, the, uh, the part that I think is amazing is that the original translation is uh, desire not Parties. Now, the phrasing of that fits so much better with my, it makes me very happy to hear, <laughs> because a desire not partying. So their their reference here uh, suddenly makes sense. And they've talked about it in a handful of other times, especially Gwattery in revolutionary left-wing groups and we see this very often uh, don't go to left twitter don't go to theory twitter it's all garbage but one of the things that they all have in common especially like the hardcore guys is they're like you got to have discipline Like it's like this idea is like uh it's not just this isn't just fun like it's it's uh like this really weird like mentality around things that um i don't know how to put it they have a really weird mentality around what desire is and and the idea of how to sort of keep it in check and how to keep it in place. And at the same time, they also, there's the free flowing sort of hippie side of things that are uh, always talking about, you know, relax, party, blah, blah, blah. And Deleuze is kind of making sort of a secondary like commentary on that right now, that's what that's how I read that, where it's like desire, not partying. Uh, desire is revolutionary, revolution in its essence, desire, not partying, and no society can tolerate a position of true desire without its structures of exploitation without the repression in place, like like with the repression as it is in place. If we ever had a true desire, it would obliterate how society's operating. and I think that's fucking great, like that's a really great comment.
1: Yeah, that's why, that is why coding is so important with
0: the soci right?
1: Um, to, to your point, I, I think that's really the, the finger on right so it's a sort of Simone veil point but that I think that's really it is that it's not it's not the creation of a group, an institution or, or anything like that a collective that is it's, um, that you find the revolutionary right It's not essential to that being but desire itself has that revolutionary potential right? And that's going to be conditional for those groups, and what those groups do as desire produces them, being the key here, right? What those groups do as desire produces them, that has the revolutionary potential, but it also has the um, the point about displacement, right? So groups don't, and this is kind of the irony, right? Groups can be produced through the revolutionary just as much as they can be um affect uh, affected in that production through displacement right it's not mutually exclusive by any means
0: love it any uh any other comments questions anything before i move on to the next paragraph all right i'll continue if a society is identical with its oh i'm starting to crack up again
1: Yeah, I wouldn't read it that way, but we can we can
0: understand you though. But it, it's it's
1: going to make interpretation
3: difficult.
0: I can read. Please, that song please read. Follow. I'm going to take a moment and do my audio. I'll be back in a minute.
3: Okay. Do you uh do you mind leaving up your PDF?
0: That's what I've been reading. No, I'm not taking anything down. I'm not restarting my computer. I'm just going to work on my audio. Cool. Okay. If a society is identical with its structures, an amusing
3: hypothesis. Then yes desire threatens its very being. It is therefore of vital importance for a society to repress desire and even to find something more efficient than repression, so that repression, hierarchy, exploitation, and servitude are themselves desired. It is quite troublesome to have to say such rudimentary things. Desire does not threaten a society because it is a desire to sleep with the mother. But because it is revolutionary and that does not at all mean that desire testing. is something other than sexuality Test. Test. But the sexuality and the love fuck? do not live this in the bedroom great. of okay. they dream and testing instead everything testing of wide everything open spaces and cause strange flows to circulate that do not let themselves be stocked within an established order desire does not want in quotes revolution it is revolutionary in its own right, as though involuntarily, by wanting what it wants. From the beginning of this study, we have maintained both that social production and desiring production are one and the same, and that they have differing regimes, with the result that a social form of production exercises an essential repression of desiring production, and also that desiring production, a real desire, Is potentially capable of demolishing the social form. But what is a real desire, since repression is also desired? How can we tell them apart? We demand the right to very deliberate analysis. For even in their contrary uses, let us make no mistake about it, the same syntheses are at issue.
1: This is where it's kind of interesting, too, because you can start to see this point about. When we get into the right, being a question of how, how the id is regulated by the ego, right? And we've seen some of that play on the ego as part of the conscious, right? The, th- the thing that's kind of interesting here, if you want to juxtapose this with psychoanalysis, right, is they do have this overlap with psychoanalysis in the sense that um, the id is sort of a danger. Or at least has the capacity for a danger in the sense of um, desire. Right. And, you know, normally the ego kind of regulates it. But this I like, I, I like what they're going with here because it's sort of the same point that with this point about desire, right? It's not that desire necessarily gets effaced, it's that it becomes a question of directing it, right? And to displace desire in this sense is to do that, right? It's to like we said, kind of costume desire, but also to to make things like hierarchy and that desirable and desired, right? To have them be part of the productive process or at least uh, affecting it.
0: So, Hey, Brooks. Hey, is just is this any better at all? <laughs> no? I mean, it
3: sounds good right now.
0: All right, good. I it's I it's actually Discord in my internet connection, so this is going to be a fun day for me to f- troubleshoot that. Um, I wanted to jump in and say, uh, just the the part that I really also like here is, uh, the very direct line that they're drawing, where it's uh, the idea of libidinal energy being purely sexual energy. I think is something that has been uh, rather traditionally talked about, not far away, but they're not saying. That it's not they're also not saying it is they're saying that desire sort of is its own thing and encompasses sort of the nature of all of these things and sort of their base level which i really enjoy i really like this paragraph for that
1: yeah the move is going to be as we know right and and they've hinted at this throughout this section but we see it in chapter one right the desire When we talk about sexuality for them we're not talking about anthropomorphic sexuality so it's not human-based sexuality right like tim was saying it's not genital based sexuality it's sexuality in terms of production and reproduction right auto production and that connectivity and disconnectivity and so on
0: love it um and then the the last little bit i really like is uh, that their their direct thing here? Desire does not want revolution. It's a really interesting sort of. I mean, we're talking about a deep nuance here. But as we get into, especially the later sections about how uh, revolution can exist, uh, how it how it works, how how desire plays into it, it is not that desire wants revolution. Desire does not want to be free. That's a misnomer. This is the again treating the idea that. desire even has a chance of not being revolutionary that desire does not have a chance of being free and connecting uh instead it's by its own very nature uh, involuntarily wanting what it wants it just is revolutionary as it goes and i think that's going to be really important uh as a just a core thing to start realizing they're making that switch
1: real quick um asks what do they mean by the social form I think what they're saying there is that they're very careful in this paragraph not to create a universal idea of society any more than they want to say that there's a universal structures in society, right? So chapter three, this is a huge part of the states. Because they, when they go through like the primitive and, and the despotic, right, they don't think they're the same societies. They don't have that kind of universal thing. They criticize like Levi-Strauss in some capacity or more so structuralism. In a more general sense and you know we'll see even like their their differentiation from universal history there but uh, when they say social form they're just talking about i think like different ways that society crops up different organizations of it
0: all right i will move to the next paragraph and i'm going to try to do my best to not go all wonky on this uh it is clear what psychoanalysis expects to gain from claiming a link where oedipus would be the object of repression and even its subject through the intermediary of the superego from this <clears throat> pardon me uh, from this it expects a cultural justification for psychic repression a justification that makes psychic repression move into the foreground and no longer considers the problem of social repression as anything more than secondary from the point of view of the unconscious. That is why critics have been able to observe a conservative or reactionary turning point in Freud, from the moment that he gave an autonomous value to psychic repression as a condition of culture-acting against the incestuous drives— Wright goes so far as to say that the crucial turning point of Freudianism, the abandonment of sexuality, comes when Freud accepts the idea of a primary anxiety that supposedly touches off psychic repression in an endogenous fashion. Consider the 1908 article on civilized sexual morality. Oedipus is not yet named here. Psychic repression is considered in terms of social repression, which gives rise to a displacement and acts on the partial drives, insofar as they represent in their own fashion a sort of desiring production, before being exercised again against the incestuous or other drives threatening legitimate marriage. But it then becomes evident that the more the problem of Oedipus and incest comes to occupy center stage, the more psychic repression and its correlates, suppression and sublimation. Will be found on supposedly transcendent requirements of civilization, at the same time that the psychoanalyst plunges deeper into a familialist and ideological vision. Uh, broken out simply, it's a it's a crisp passage. Uh, it's psychoanalysis from this link attempts to go excellent. You uh, need you need repression. Oedipus. I, hey, look, society too. There you go, society is just like this. And uh, the psychoanalyst can go deeper into the familialist and ideological vision, this deep representation, because Oedipus becomes the problem. We must solve, or we must handle, or we must manage properly. Did any of that come through?
1: Well, I was going to comment, yeah, as we're going through this, we're seeing how psychic and social oppression aren't really mutually exclusive, are they?
0: We're actually seeing, I think, that they're almost the same thing. That's One of the a,
1: same and two different regimes, right? Yes,
0: that's, a, that's a, the idea that he's pushing here is, hey, isn't it funny that psychoanalysis is trying to sort of backdoor this whole thing? Uh, with the lose I probably should use different wording, given how he talks about such things. But uh, if you're, oh, look, it's a human needs to be, a, the society... Two like there's they're seeing that connection that's interesting, and that kind of works in the sense that yeah, we're part of society problems with one feel like they do get visited on many of us like there's a intuitionist sort of nature to that, but if we start from here, we need to really look at how these operate and how these work, and their arguments very clean that if that's the case, we need to really reframe how we deal with uh, social Uh, psychic repression, and suppression and sublimation as well. We do not need to relate again the reactionary compromises of Freudianism and even its theoretical surrender. This work has been accomplished several times in a profound way, rigorously, and with nuances. We see no special problem in the possibility of a coexistence of revolutionary, reformist, and reactionary elements at the heart of the same theoretical and practical doctrine. We refuse to play, take it or leave it, under the pretext that theory justifies practice, being born from it, or that one cannot challenge the process of cure, except by stating from elements drawn from this very cure, as if every great doctrine were not a combined formation, constructed from bits and pieces, various intermingled codes and flux, partial elements and derivatives, that constitute its very life, or its becoming. As if we could reproach someone for having an ambiguous relationship with psychoanalysis without first mentioning that psychoanalysis owes its existence to a relationship, theoretically and practically ambiguous, with what it discovers and the forces that it wields. I I cannot help but immediately go back to logic and sense, logic of sense, and how things insist upon themselves. Uh, That's where my brain just went just now. But, it's, I mean, that's the, the, the comment here. There's a level where just naturally psychoanalysis is insisting upon its own sort of creation and success. And also, don't critique us. Don't, no, no, stop there. But we're also very right. Don't worry. No, stop there. Over and over and over. And it's
1: But the thing here is that there's a part of... You could almost say they're looking at the
0: unconscious of, the, of
1: psychoanalysis, right? So this point about the transcendent and that, you know, we've talked about how this could be part of the pre-conscious, but even if we put that to the side, right? This could be something that psychoanalysis is actually not aware of, right? Which is that they're part of creating social and psychic depression, right? And this is really interesting because, like, you know, we talked about this in the beginning of this chapter, right? That Freud begins with a loose a conceptual lucidity for delusion and watery that his creations in the uh, early part of his work are really quite um, quite interesting, right? There's a lot of conceptual development, a lot of interesting work happening, right? And then as he goes, right, this interest in Oedipus, and this, this point about like um, displacement of sexuality here, right? This seems to be very stark because what they're getting at is how um, psychoanalysis itself, if we, we take Freud as kind of at least a main creator of it, or at least his work as an important constructing of it, right? There's something that happened to psychoanalysis in this process that it itself is not just an instrument of all this, right? But it itself is actually affected by it. So this point about the law of the father and then about, you know, the incest prohibition, these are things that affect psychoanalysis, right? And it's not just that psychoanalysis creates them or anything like that they become sort of conditions for what psychoanalysis is doing. And that's really important because schizoanalysis has to differentiate but also work with that same problem, right? The same three syntheses being at stake on this point about displacement. You know, this is why we don't have to play take it or leave with psychoanalysis is because it's not inherently this way,
0: but it is being produced in its own sense in this manner. Yeah, no, uh, Bo Scurd puts it well. Do not concern yourself with the socius behind the diagnosis. And I picture a uh, Wizard of Oz moment with Freud's head floating in the sky. Lacan behind the curtain. <laughs> uh, any, any notes, any comments uh, before I move on to the next paragraph? So we are nearing I want to try to get through more of this uh, pretty quick here. Alright, and uh just as a
1: passing comment, the, the, the studies they're referring to on Freud and that's a uh,
0: Marcusa and Reich. And if anyone's interested, I check the notes. Excellent. We do not need to relate again the reactionary compromises of Freudianism and even its theoretical surrender. This work has been accomplished several times in a profound way, rigorously and with nuances. We see no special problem in the possibility of a coexistence of revolutionary, reformist, and reactionary elements at the heart of the same theoretical and practical doctrine. We refuse to play take it or leave it under the pretext that theory... Did I just read this? Yes. This is, this, that, what you just read, those are the two studies I was referring to. Excellent. Uh, I had scrolled back up. Well, the critical study of Freudian ideology has been done, and done well. On the other hand, the history of the movement has never even been sketched out. The structure of the psychoanalytic group, its politics, tendencies, focal points, its self-application, suicides, its follies, the enormous group, superego, everything that took place on the body of the master. What has come to be called the monumental work of Ernest Jones does not penetrate censorship. It codifies it and the way the three elements coexisted. The exploratory, pioneering, revolutionary element, whereby desiring production was discovered. The classical, cultural element, which reduces everything to a scene from Oedipal theatrical representation, a return to myth. And finally, the third element, the most disturbing, a sort of racket thirsting after respectability which will never have done with getting itself recognized and institutionalized, Of. Uh, formidable enterprise of absorption of surplus value, with its codification of the interminable cure, its cynical justification of the role of money, and all the pledges it makes to the established order. All these elements were present in Freud, a fantastic Christopher Columbus, a brilliant bourgeois reader of Goethe, Shakespeare, and Sophocles, a masked Al Capone. a phenomenal pair. Ken, please, I would love you to expand on it.
3: I mean, it's a great paragraph. Uh, And I think it speaks to things that are just recognizable and identifiable sort of anywhere in the scene of mental health counseling. Like, like I can't tell you how many conversations I've had um, with uh with professionals who question uh the place of politics in some sort of mental health counseling practice. Um and that just seems absurd to me. Um and and psychoanalysis has sort of been doing this for a long time too until I guess uh some of the critical theory people coming out of there here are into psychoanalysis. But um, That part about uh, the racket, like, uh, it's such a big deal. Um, Speaking of uh, uh, repressing representations, there's like, and, you know, this is probably just my paranoiac fantasy, but there's like this image of uh, like surgical excellence and like some sort of male doctor wearing a white coat, um, that is going to make you feel only pleasure and and its purpose in life is to eradicate any dissatisfactoriness um, and like this is like the representative in in i don't know fantasy of a lot of people that i have not like most but a lot of people that i've come into contact with in my educational journey so I love the program.
1: What do you think of the three elements they look at there? You, you mentioned the racket, um, the racket part, but what do you think of, like, um, the other two?
3: I'm actually cooking at the same time.
1: Oh, okay. It was the, like, the conceptual um, revolutionary aspect, so, like, the the the, the the creation of like discovery and then like the classical the, point the classical uh, point about uh, representation
3: yeah I'm losing my connection sort of uh, the revolutionary mm. talking about this part the exploratory pioneering revolutionary element whereby desiring production was discovered the classical cultural element, which reduces everything to a scene from Oedipal theatrical representation, the return to myth. And finally, the third element. Yeah. Um, You know, I don't know where I fall on this myth thing either, um, to be honest. I I think finding any sort of... uh, single myth that totally encapsulates uh, existence or being or whatever is a misstep Um, and I guess that's what they're saying too here Uh, but I mean psychoanalysis did have a revolutionary element right Um, they were coming into a time where like the the Materialism was like a it was a metaphysics of substance so materialism reigned and um Freud kind of came in and uh was a splash in that pond a little bit but yeah he he was trying to get included into academia and make psychoanalysis a science and that sort of made him a part of the racket you know then then like came like uh, reified structures of subjectivity that you're born with that can't change. And, you know, everyone is either one of the three, everyone's either neurotic perverse or psychotic. And, uh, and speaking of things that retroactively affect psychoanalysis itself, these subjectivities do that. Cause then you have all these people sort of like in this paranoiac state of self policing, trying not to look, neurotic psychotic or perverse around each other. And, and so then, 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 then there is the return to myth again, too. That, um, and is the, the double bind paralogism as well. I don't, I hope I approached your question.
0: Uh, I, I, I just had uh, really I, quick, I, I just add really quick. Oh, Ken, I'm echoing oh, through you. Ken, I'm echoing through you. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the the last I like I like their summary really quick also of the uh, three types through Freud himself uh, the on the one hand they have the fantastic Christopher Columbus not sure we'd use the reference today but the idea of the explorer right? like that that idea the pioneering revolutionary element not sure Christopher Columbus fits that but hey uh, but then you also have the bourgeois reader of like classic tales and stories and. of that as well as a masked al capone which is i mean they're i I, they're very against the entire conception of bringing capital into this and having people basically pay for their own care as a concept but to use al capone as the setup i really do like that as well
1: i dig it that's unique right because the capital is a condition for psychoanalysis right and at the same time, they don't want to be defined in terms of, and I don't blame them for this, right? They don't want to be defined in terms of having to take money because it's, for, for most scientists, this is a problem, right? Like I have friends in engineering, and, you know, once you're in, there's a huge difference between building a car with your friend, right, from the ground up, if you like, and doing that for a company, right? The legalities, the way that uh, money affects that, uh, yeah and that's something i think you're right that psychoanalysis has its own self-awareness to it, but its own and again you know we're in the we're sort of in the unconscious psychoanalysis in this book you know has its own sort of um uh paranoiac engagement with right and i mean that in the the either or sense here
0: i, I would agree and i think their i mean their big take with it also is the second half of that where it's not just the absorption of surplus value, which is uh, something they're definitely going on, but the codification of the interminable cure, which is a hell of a hell of a way to do it and set it up. Um, it's a it's a setup the eternal interminable cure. Uh, capital. All right. Um, continue to the next paragraph. Um, The strength of Reich consists in having shown how psychic repression depended on social repression, which in no way implies a confusion of the two concepts, since social repression needs psychic repression precisely in order to form docile subjects and to ensure the reproduction of the social formation, including its repressive structures. But social repression should not be understood by using as a starting point a familial repression coextensive with civilization. Far from it, it is civilization that must be understood in terms of a social repression inherent to a given form of social production. Social repression bears on desire, and not solely on needs or interests, only by means of sexual repression. The family is indeed the delegated agent of this psychic repression, insofar as it ensures a mass psychological reproduction of the economic system of a society. Of course, it should not be concluded from this that desire is edible. On the contrary, it is the social repression of desire or sexual repression that is the stasis, that is, the stasis of libidinal energy, that actualizes Oedipus and engages desire in this requisite impasse organized by the repressive society. Uh, Fuck the nuclear family like that's i mean that's what this is this is him coming straight at the nuclear family as a conception and saying uh hey this isn't about like starting from like there we need to talk about how we organize individuals within the society how we create repression how we put people together and a family is an, a delegated agent of this psychic repression and yes don't fuck the nuclear family really uh obviously that's <laughs> but fair uh okay bad wording you got me boast curd you win Um I, the point I think is uh, still still I think valid. Uh, the the challenge within especially capital is we all and I think everyone here generally has the same core experience. You are uh, edipalized because you live in a nuclear family. The all of your connections and they they've talked about this and they will continue to all of the connections you have are made through mommy daddy. My my son is three and a half. I mean it's COVID. He's not there's not a lot of social stuff happening so. Everything he's experiencing in life, he experiences through himself, through mother, or through father. It's just the nature of it, um, and that, in and it, of itself, is damaging in this way. It actualizes Oedipus and engages desire in this requisite impasse, organized by the repressive society, because this is how we do this. It's a it's a hell of a way to sort of flip that around from the idea of oh, uh, oh well, start start with familial repression. Coextensive from civilizations, like no, 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 no. We need to talk about civilization in terms of familial repression, which is a really great way to sort of talk about that. Uh, we're on two point seven, Joe, halfway through. And Joe, halfway through.
3: Can I bounce an off you and see what you think? No. Um. No. Okay, <laughs> then I'll just shut up.
0: <laughs> I, I was joking. Please do. I was please, please do. Being an I was, ass. Uh, Completely being an ass. Okay. I can never tell
3: where we are on time. Um so whenever we were first going through this, I got the sense that like like what was said what was being said was that the nuclear family is the issue causes the issue of familial repression. Um, and just sort of thinking about this, it it's it seems like the issue with the nuclear family is that that's like that's like the social safety, and and you only have two points of failure before you're sort of screwed. Um, and and maybe it's not so much the nuclear family that's the problem, but that capitalism sort of depends on on the nuclear family being. A social safety um, net—that seems to be the issue. Uh, Because, and and of course, like Oedipus may exist or Oedipus does exist uh, in some places, but I don't think it's transcendent. I don't think it's an existential circumstance for every single person, by law, handed down by nature, whatever. And so you're going to have like the weird Oedipal stuff sometimes, but. I really think it's that social safety net issue that I, seems to be the problem with I, the nuclear family.
0: Uh, I'm going to dig a crack. I'm going to take a crack. Uh, I am going to take a um i, I do not think you're wrong. I think it's, it's. I mean, this is an incredibly complex thing, how uh, our desires get organized, how we build relationships with things as we grow. And I, I would say that it probably starts in one place and ends in the other. Uh, a child, for example, has no concept of what social safety net is and doesn't, really, my son has no idea that he's wholly dependent on mom and dad. Like, he doesn't know that as a thing. Like, he he gets it, and he has demands on mom and dad, and he'd be sad, but he doesn't, like, think, if mom and dad died tomorrow, I'd be on the street. It's not a... he's not there yet. But all of his sort of thoughts and everything he has does come through the idea of daddy teaching him a thing, or mommy teaching him a thing, or doing a thing with him, or being around him. So, Everything he does relates to mommy, daddy, me, because that's the nature of, I mean, we have a, we have a nuclear family. It's the nature of it. Uh, Welcome to things. Uh, But I think as we get older and that is sort of built into us at that point, I would agree. I think that's a really good insight that at some point the switch happens where no longer is it that my representations and my understandings of things are being built through mommy, daddy, me. Uh mommy is who she is, and that's my understanding of daddy's doing what he's doing. Uh you know my son's learned daddy cooks all the time, mommy doesn't cook. Men cook, women don't. Like that's like if you want to talk, look at it in a shitty way, that's like a, an example of how that sort of happens to kids. That sucks. Um, and that happens with sexuality, it happens with everything. At some point, when the rest of the world starts, you know, making itself visible, and uh parents p- place themselves as the arbiters or the gatekeepers or the safety net which happens, uh, to me happens to a lot of people. It's not abnormal, especially in our society. I think you have a good point that suddenly now I'm dependent on the representations that I've grown up with, and it changes my relationships to them even a step further. Is that what you're getting at, Ken?
3: Yeah, uh, sort of, but I'm also getting at just the mere fact of magicians because you know, kids may not have the language for it, but they can identify and put things together pretty fast and um, and you know kid kids can recognize whenever uh, you know you're having a hard time putting food on the table or or whenever you're about to lose your shelter or something. This this stuff registers with kids as young as like four years old. Um,
0: no, this and, is true. true. No, this is true. It's true.
3: And that's sort of what I'm talking about to a certain extent.
0: I think that's, I think that's, uh, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the whole point here, the whole point is all of this. It's we, we, the way that repression happens socially is by placing us into these familial circumstances where all of our representation is built through mommy, daddy, me, all of our dependencies exist in terms of mommy, daddy, me, all of my desires happen through mommy, daddy, me. All of my wants and wishes and hopes for the future are mommy, daddy, me. Everything becomes that. Like, there's no third or fourth thing that's in that sort of grouping. Everything has to be biunivocalized and It becomes mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, daddy, mommy. Like, everything. And I... Yeah, no, I mean, when you're talking about what you're saying, it's uh, putting a... Yeah, it's another layer that... Uh, I don't actually know if they explore that in here, but that seems like that would be really useful to go into.
1: Well, they're not going to get too much into like child psychology and like Piaget, but what, where you guys, I think, where we can expand your discussion is that representation isn't necessarily production, right? So the representation of a father, the codification of a father, right? When we're talking about an assemblage, so like say Brooks and his son, it's not necessarily the case. For rep- In fact, I don't think it is the case that the um the representation of father and son produces for example. the production in the unconscious that's So I was saying that representation isn't necessarily production. In fact, I, I think quite often it's not. So when we're working with an assemblage of say, like a parent and their child, there's a codification and a functionality we can talk about there. And there's a paralogistic sense of it, right? in the sense that it's supposed to be, um right it's uh, created in a certain sense, right, created through the paralogisms, but that's not necessarily how it takes place, right? The representation isn't necessarily what produces um, acts within what we call family. The codification might affect how those are produced, but it can also be changed in the process. whereas the paralogisms, I think are working with directing all of that, right. But if we go into the production of the unconscious, yeah, uh, and I think talking about as an orphan, right? It's not being produced in that sense, right? The representation of a father isn't what produces um, the unconscious anymore. The unconscious necessarily produces that. So even to your point about the nuclear family, you know, when we're talking about institutions as fathers, right? There is, I, I think that that to me speaks a little bit more to like the psychic repression. But in terms of the social repression, right, that becomes a condition for that. And this is what they're criticizing in terms of the racketeering in that, right? What's going on socially gets displaced onto the familial in this manner, right? But it doesn't have to always be the familial, right? Bosses do a certain thing, or, or more so hierarchy has a certain
0: function here, particularly like a, a stasis of it all. Reich was the first to raise the problem of the relationship between desire and the social field. He went further than Marcuse, who treats the problem lightly. He is the true founder of a materialist psychiatry. Situating the problem in terms of desire, he is the first to reject the explanations of a summary Marxism too quick to say the masses were fooled, mystified. But since he had not sufficiently formulated the concept of desiring production he did not succeed in determining the insertion of desire into the economic infrastructure itself, the insertion of the drives into social production. Consequently, revolutionary investment seemed to him such that the desire moving within it simply coincided with an economic rationality. As to the reactionary mass investments, they seemed to him to derive from ideology, so that psychoanalysis merely had the role of explaining the subjective, negative, the inhibited, without participating directly as psychoanalysis in the positivity of the revolutionary movement or in the desiring creativity. To a certain extent, didn't this amount to a reintroduction of the error or the illusion? The fact remains that Reich, in the name of desire, caused a song of life to pass into psychoanalysis. He denounced, in the final resignation of Freudianism, a fear of life, a Resurgence of the ascetic ideal, a cultural broth of bad consciousness. Better to depart in search of the orgone, he said to himself, in search of the vital and cosmic element of desire, than to continue being a psychoanalyst under those conditions. No one forgave him this, whereas Freud got full pardon. Reich was the first to attempt to make the analytic machine and the revolutionary machine function together. In the end, he only had his own desiring machines, his paranoiac, miraculous, and celibate boxes with metallic inner inner walls lined with cotton and wool. I love that. It's just great. Uh, it's worth uh, really going through uh, some Reich writing. Uh, our friends at the Acid Horizon podcast I have to recommend. They just did, I think, was it last week or the week before, they just did a piece on Reich that's uh, excellent and really sort of goes through a great deal of uh, his thought and if you're wondering at all about reich i'm not going to spend time explaining it because that does a far better and succinct version of it so any questions any thoughts here
1: yeah i mean the thing i really like about what they're saying about Reich here is they give him a lot of credit because he's able to see that, right, like, it's not a point about the masses being tricked, right? This is, they, they want this stuff, right? They want this kind of repression, right? They're not inherently repressed, but it's, it's a process of production. Well, I like this point a lot that they're making because it's not a derivation from ideology, right? So, like, when we're talking about the materialist psychiatry, and if we take that, like, the Marxian sense, it often is a point about um, ideological criticisms. And to losing you don't say that those are um, unvaluable, right? But I do like this this point that ideology doesn't necessarily explain the, the process of production, and I think that's really important as we're going through this, right? That out of this itself, an ideological critique of it um, is insufficient for a discussion of its production.
0: Yeah, uh, to to have something become actually materialist, we have to talk about how. Things work and what they make. And ideology simply is uh, unsatisfying to that end, for sure. I
1: mean, even that last sentence you like, right? Like, it's not ideology. Or in the end, he only had his own desire machines, his paranoiac, miraculous, and solid boxes with metallic inner
0: walls lying with
1: cotton wall right?
0: No ideology there, importantly. Right? No, none, but also nothing connecting and pumping between them. The celibate boxes with inner walls lined with cotton and wool, which is a interesting setup. I think I'll continue to the next paragraph. Pardon me. Um, Psychic repression distinguishes itself from social repression by the unconscious nature of the operation and by its result. Quote, even in the inhibition of revolt has become unconscious a distinction that expresses clearly the difference in nature between the two repressions. But a real independence cannot be concluded from this. Psychic repression is such that social repression becomes desired. It induces a consequent desire, a faked image of its object, on which it bestows the appearance of independence. Strictly speaking, psychic repression is a means in the service of social repression. What it bears on is also the object of social repression, Desiring production. But it in fact implies an original double operation. The repressive social formation delegates its power to an agent of psychic repression, and, correlatively, the repressed desire is as though masked by the faked, displaced image to which the repression gave rise. Psychic repression is delegated by the social formation, while the desiring formation is disfigured and displaced by psychic repression. You may have heard Jack and I having a little bit of back and forth a little earlier when we were saying, "Oh, maybe they're connected." And it's a oh, here we go. This is uh, this is the nature of it. It's uh, psychic repression ends up because of the displacement, because of this paralogism. You actually desire social repre- You actually desire uh, uh, social repression as a as a consequent desire. And it's a, it's an amazing process that the entire thing takes place. Uh, and again this is how that paralogism functions uh, at a base level.
5: Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to add that you can, of course, be conscious about uh, your displacement, you know. And so that's actually a very practical um, insight to have that you are displacing it. Uh, sometimes, you know, like, you get, like, fairly emotional, I suppose. Um, sometimes um, I, 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 what I do, to take myself i i uh, self-analyze a lot because i think it uh, enhances my uh, uh, psycho uh, uh, analytical skills um i I can't remember who suggested this i think it it was for himself but that that, that's not really a matter of importance so um the thing is that you like okay so this happened um like um, a a girl that uh, i haven't talked to in a while um um, I hit her up, you know, uh, uh, started the conversation. And uh, after uh, two messages, she out of the blue blocked me, which was, of course, um, I I I felt a lot of things because of that. But so I started basically to go uh, through these things, and then uh, like everything that uh, popped in my head, I I uh, basically they are like, how do you say um, they are? They are more or less. Um, um like linked uh, or you make them link you 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 make these connections between like different states of emotions like i remember for example uh, as a child that uh, or maybe not a child but a uh, uh, some sort of adult like um uh, i w- would get uh, refused to participate in like um uh, was picked for uh, the the football team you know i was picked like I don't know, uh not last but almost last that bumped me out a lot. So that was something that popped up in my head. And um I was I, the, these things so get linked to the um initial act. And um if you like uh um that be con- are conscious of that, you can say, Okay, so now I am uh, I am Uh, working not with with well because you you get misguided often like you you think you're working with okay so this girl blocked me so i'm working this out but actually it kind of um triggers other um, uh, scenarios which you play out which are very familiar with you know because you want to put yourself at ease That, that that's the unconscious part that is the um like the, the unconscious desire, you know, why you desire repression. What it makes uh, you do is, it, it's, it's basically a vice that puts you at ease as much as possible. It wants to make you relax, you know. It's, it's there to take care of you, in a sense. So um, what happens is that spo- for you spontaneously, these uh, thoughts pop in your head that are very familiar, um, which, um, which correspond uh, to the things you uh, think you should feel. And if you uh, realize that, and you start to um, take the these, uh, <coughs> consider these thoughts, and move away, or like um, don't like block out the thought of okay uh, again the example she blocked me. I didn't like to forget about it to focus on other all, all stuff at all. I was just okay. So she blocked me. Let's see what pops up. And for example, okay, uh, picked uh, last was one thing, and they started to think about it, yeah, I'm kind of like feeling the same emotions as that time, so let's see what pop, uh, popped up next, and next was like um, uh, you know, um, maybe uh, an argument uh, I had with my sister, in which she um, made me feel like I, I wasn't that uh, well-adjusted, you know, enough to uh, um, to uh, be with um, um, yeah 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 to 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 to, to be in a, in a relationship is a big, is a little bit of a big word but to, to be relating to people you know um on, on on some sort of uh of of level you know which which was was a fairly mean thing to say to me at the time so i started to um to to basically uh make more or less a list in my head of things that uh popped up and and then i actually uh the 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 transgression that happened, you know, um, like the the repression which was unconscious, did it like um, um, like like get get um, ever um, um, like uh, uh, like like still or it, it, it did gonna, it uh, I'm like? I'm
0: gonna pull back. So mm-hmm. um, to relate it to this paragraph, sorry, I, I'm just I'm lose. I lost the thread, Joe. I'm sorry, I lost the thread of what you're trying to say.
5: Okay, I, I can, can be a bit more concrete because I, I this is more like uh, me ruminating to myself so I can uh make uh, eventually a concrete point. The point I'm making is that social rep- repression is of course unconscious. But the the conscious aspect um is the result of uh the desiring of repression. So uh you you um what well, well, it, it it's 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 um, if you you can modify the desire by accepting what it gives you, you know. If you are conscious that there is something that works um, repressing you, you can start to decide if the if the things it feeds you are indeed repressing or not. It it does not mean that everything that um, like uh, social repression in the unconscious um, makes you go through that it is inherent to repression. There is still, um, um, I mean, of course, the process is repressing. You are unaware of that, so you can't help that. But the result, what it feeds you, doesn't have to be repressing. It can can, can still function on a different level. Right, right, right. So is is, is that a a bit more uh, concise? um, Yes, no, that was was
0: better. And I think, think, uh, yes. So... um, and I think actually that bears into, uh, I just to make sure, I'm at the bottom of 119, the family is delegated against, is is the delegated agent or am I past that? Because I was trying to find a quote and I lost my place. Anyone? That is correct. The family right. is
1: the delegated
5: agent.
0: All right. I'm, I'm going to read from there because I think the next two paragraphs, Joe, I think get into that a little bit. So I
5: want to kind of dive ahead. Um I just wanted to apologize because the example was too bad because uh, it was too fresh, you know, and uh, therefore uh, a, a bad example no, is not it about good, my personal you're life, which is uh, kind of ridiculous. So, uh, but but. but it, it's 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 it's. I hope uh, uh, it, it can be overlooked. Uh. No,
0: no, you're, you're fine. Again, it's a. Uh, uh, d- do try to try fewer sentences because i lost the thread you actually had a great point when we got you to say it so it's just just the fewer sentences i think would help but i want to make sure we dive forward a little bit um the family is the delegated agent of psychic repression or rather the agent delegated to psychic repression the incestuous tribes are the disfigured image of the repressed the Oedipus complex the process of edibilization is therefore the result of this double operation It is one and the same movement that the repressive social production is replaced by the repressing family, and that the latter offers a displaced image of desiring production that represents the repressed as incestuous familial drives. In this way, the family drives relationship is substituted for the relationship between the two orders of production, in a diversion where the whole of psychoanalysis goes astray. And the interests of such an operation, from the point of view of social repression, from the point of view of social production, becomes evident, for the latter could not otherwise ward off desire's potential for revolt and revolution. By placing the distorting mirror of incest before desire, that's what you wanted, isn't it? Desire is shamed, stupefied, it is placed in a situation without exit it is easily persuaded to deny itself in the name of the more important interests of civilization. Well, what if everyone did the same? What if everyone married his mother and kept his sister for himself? There'd no longer be any differentiation. Any exchange is possible. We must act quickly and soon. Incest. uh, Slandered. Shallow stream. Again, put very nicely here, I think a, a good amount of what Actually, Joe was saying that by placing the distorted mirror of incest before desire, desire becomes itself shamed, stupefied, placed in a situation without exit. It is easily persuaded at this point to deny itself in the name of the better interests of civilization. That operation is incredibly important for uh, everyone here to be able to grasp, and I want to make sure you're able to. Uh, This is... This is one of those it's another one of those sentences that's like they they're, they're, they're going to be going over this <laughs> quite a bit but uh I this is something I think we would say we're seeing very cleanly in our own uh our own society my my own society America uh desire being shamed, stupefied placed in a situation without exit becomes persuaded to deny itself in the name of interests of civilization
1: so, we can start to apply some of our terminology here, right? Because uh, so I said, we would try and come back to it. So, the displaced represented that which gives a falsified apparent image as much trap desire. Sorry, that's what incest is doing here, right? The latter offers a displaced image of desiring production that represents the repressed as ancestral familial drives, right? So, yeah, we can start to walk in some of this terminology as we're going through here.
0: yep um and yes uh, this is uh this plays into the double bind uh boastgird um uh it's a little different than that this is not uh, the the double bind is the impasse of uh, damned if you do damned if you don't kind of placement of a thing emotional blackmail social blackmail in some kind of way Uh, that plays into this but we're talking actually about like uh, the actual nature of desire and its own production by the distorting mirror of incest being placed before desire. So imagine desire's kind of walking along, connecting, disconnecting. It looks up, there's this distorted mirror of incest, and it goes, Oh, huh, I want that. Well, that's fucked up. I'm fucked up. Huh, well, I shouldn't do that because it would ruin society.
5: And I, then... I would say, oh, Yeah, sorry, I, I, I go. So, but, Finish, uh,
0: finish. No, no, go, finish. go, go, go.
5: Um, yeah, like the double bind is actually like um, more or less the, the ideal, um, uh, the, the, the ideality of the situation where you um, like are, have the same process um, of uh, uh, the re- desiring uh, consciously, because then uh, if 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 that would happen, um then of course uh it would negate each other. If like the unconscious and the conscious would uh, intersect in um in uh su- um of suppo- um a ph- f- 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 in a phantasm or in the fantasy of uh a double bind that would be ideal you know um because it would, would resolve uh, all the problems uh, because it w- would uh actually counter uh, um uh, cancel each, each other out so you, you would be completely i would say may, maybe um enlightened in a sense um um and uh yeah there, no, it, it, it's it's um so it, it's important to identify with your unconscious but still separate it uh, enough you know that um you can, uh, okay, uh, that you know that you can't replicate it. You know, it's it's not replicatable. Well, well, it, it, it,
0: it gets trapped. And it's it's this last thing Jack says in the text, uh, in the chat, that the stupefaction of law, stymify, stymies, desiring production, while also displacing it. Desiring still goes. Like, it's not like desire goes, oh, I guess I'll stop here. Like, it's got stuff it wants to go with. And it sees this distorted mirror and it goes, oh, cool, I'll want that. Well, I guess I'll avoid that. And it's, like, the double bind plays into it, but this is not the double bind. This is specifically uh, the paralogism of displacement. Like, I just want to be very clear about that. This is specifically that. The double bind plays into this. Like, all of these things are, like... All these things play in. There's no such thing where I'm like well today i'm being affected by the double bind tomorrow i'll try a little bit of the third paralogism <laughs> like it's this shit's always happening in a lot of different ways to us and it's very complex sort of multi-layered reality
5: um mm-hmm. but 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 let's say uh i i uh, uh let's like to, to make uh, to put my uh, uh point in uh, analogy like it's it's like you're so your conscious desire repression uh, comes up with the idea, um, okay, I want to fuck my sister, uh, for example. And then if you like consciously uh, want to fuck your mom, like the situation gets totally resolved because um, you are, you are um, d- then uh, totally comfortable with the idea of incest on both uh, layers, and then you uh, uh, can escape. You know the um, the 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 mirror. Um, oh, I'm, not, not, I'm longer not longer looking in the mirror. I think, and I'm not uh, sure. I'm,
0: I'm not sure. I'm with. Th- I'm not sure. I go that far. I think. Uh, so for me, the the escape here is about understanding that the prohibition in the first place is absurd, and that that your desires to have other connections and do other things. The the nature of uh, the incest prohibition, for example, as a base layer of society that needs to affect us is insane i it, it doesn't have to be its own thing that, um, that there's uh, there's other reasons that we have such things and we don't need to necessarily have prohibitions
5: okay, i i 'll try a little a little other dialectic so again the, the the same example so uh your conscious uh, um, uh desire rep- repression feeds you uh, you felt, uh, want what to fuck your mother. And oh, sorry, all the way around. Uh, said all the way. It doesn't matter. You feed you. Uh, I want to fuck your mother, and you actually want to feed your sister. Like uh, I want to fuck your sister. Then the uh, fucking um, of your um, mother, the 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 part, you know, um, gets because it's similar. Gets overcoded. It gets overcoded with something else. So the only thing that uh, that uh, keeps existing. Is the base base difference between sister and mother? That's the only thing that keeps existing, you know, because you're you in unconscious, um, because it's repressive, you know, automatically blocks out the similarities in your conscious.
0: No, well no, as no, as no, 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 uh, no, no, there, no. There's no such thing as mother or sister in your unconscious.
5: No, nee, that, that's what I'm I'm saying. So in consciousness. You, unconscious. You differentiate between uh, mother and sister. The only part that g- gets overcoded is uh, the incest prohibition, which is of course a big problem in the in the unconscious. So if if those are familiar, you know, if if you like have the desire to again have incest, uh, incestuous intercourse with your mother, and if you are unconsciously and if you have conscious desire of having incestuous um, um, uh, inter, um, like. Um, this is this is
0: this is going to be a larger discussion i want to try to we've got like 20 minutes left i want to try to get through two more pages because i really don't want to have to redo like an entire talk on just one page of this let's let's schedule some time to to go through this and have this discussion because i think it's worthwhile but uh for now i just want to like tear through the text so we're going to keep uh pushing through any 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 questions or comments on this paragraph specifically interpreting issues you're having other things like that
5: well, I'm just fascinated by the concept of the double bind in um, in regards to uh, this. I know, so, but it's uh, I, I get, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's
0: a discussion now, but that's it's it's not part of this. Like, it's it's literally like the answer for real quick for Bozkurt is no. This isn't the double bind. This is the answer? It's part of this whole thing, and there's a larger discussion, but it's not what he's discussing here.
1: Uh yeah, I disagree insofar as like uh, when you put it into consciousness in,
0: in either case, right?
1: we're moving toward oh, no, intentionality no no, 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 no. Uh,
0: I, i'm asking i'm not not that we'll discuss that another time i'm stopping this but this is a long discussion i'm asking specifically is the double bind being discussed here
1: oh okay in that respect it has a place but like you said it it has a place in service of the fourth paralogism right so it it is happening in terms of like when they say desire as i said like when when desire is stymied in that there is a point in which there's um for the displacement right when we're talking about the double body, we're talking about in a sense it's a certain stymie but there's a functional stymie right so in the way that the desire machines would operate there is right the functionalism that the body that organs would have but then when we're talking about the stymie that the the paralogism and, and the uh, displacement produce right with that, this point about the paralysis that's the, do- that's the impasse where desiring production is producing, and yet it finds itself mir- uh, faced with an image of that that sort of stupefies it. And so uh, in doing that, right, the, the larger point for the double bind here would be that there's a point about the functionalisms in that mirror, right? So the, the unconscious in that sense is, they're sort of suggesting the unconscious is almost seeing a reflection of itself producing incest right and that's the functionalism of the double bind there that kind of creates the stymie but is not produced by the unconscious right this is where that tension really builds
0: that's all i have brooks cool um i will continue the next paragraph so we can keep charging through although we can see social production's interest in such an operation it is less clear what makes this operation possible from the point of view of desiring production itself. We do have, however, the elements of a response. Social production would need, at its disposal, on the recording surface of the socius, an agent that is also capable of acting on, of inscribing the recording surface of desire. Such an agent exists, the family. It belongs essentially to the recording of social production as a system of reproduction of the producers, and, doubtless, at the other pole, the recording of desiring production on the body without organs is brought about through a genealogical network that is not familial. Parents only intervene here as partial objects, flows, signs, and agents of a process that outflanks them on all sides. At most, the child innocently relates to his parents some part of the astonishing productive experience he is undergoing with his desire. But this experience is not related to them as such. Yet this is precisely where the operation arises. Under the precocious action of social repression, the family slips into and interferes with the network of desiring genealogy. It assumes the task of alienating the entire genealogy, it confiscates the Newman. But see here, God is daddy. The desiring experience is treated as if it were intrinsically related to the parents and as if the family were its supreme law. Partial objects are subjected to the notorious law of totality unity acting as lacking. The disjunctions are subjected to the alternative of the undifferentiated, or exclusion. Yes, uh, Boeskert, because I said so, becomes a, a brutal cudgel. Um, the thing to go back to again... Uh, They're very clear here that the family is impressing upon children. As as I described earlier, uh, me and my wife uh, to our son, we intervene in essentially his entire life. Uh, We will for a while, but we don't do it as mommy-daddy. We we as mommy-daddy are partial objects. We're elements that are part of everything that happens sort of around us and outflanks us on all sides, as they say. Uh, At most, the parent is uh related in some part of the astonishing productive experience the child's going undergoing with the desire but it's not related to them as such it's not that everything becomes daddy or becomes mommy it's sort of the relationship of that that things are related to or through or with mommy daddy um and then uh that social repression comes in and the family becomes the rules the name of the father for example as lacan may call it um or the the weak mom, I think, is a, another standard in this bearing straight. It, we, we have these representations then formed for us and sort of presented for us, despite not really having that be the nature of how desiring production creates relationships or or builds a child's body without organs. It's a really fascinating breakdown of it. Are there any, any questions on this? Any issues with the phrasing that they have? Wording? Because it's a complex thing. I think generally we've been on track for this but it's worth asking i like that you're bringing the body without organs in
1: here and that, right because they like when they say god is uh, i'm sorry it confiscates the newman but see here god is daddy right we are talking about the synthesis of recording and the synthesis of distribution more um more largely right and i I think that's really important when i talk about genealogy and that because we are talking about what gets core in the body of that organs, but also the distribution of
0: um, libidinal energy. Yeah. Well, and it's the last little bit here is uh, really interesting phrasing that partial objects are subjected to the notorious law of totality, unity acting as lacking. Uh, everything my son experiences through me or with me or at with me as a partial object, uh, there's like an edge of daddy involved in all of it. Like there just is. And he, he pretends that he's daddy and there's some things he relates directly to me. But uh, if if we sit here and we say, excellent, daddy is a thing. He is the, the, the concept. He is the idea. And he is God. Suddenly the totality, the partial object I am that he's relating to becomes a totality that is by nature repressive. It It acts as lacking. I'm no longer uh, just like Brooks, the dad, like I'm just a dad to him. Like I'm being, I'm dadding, I'm dadding. I'm not like dad. But if I were to tell him like, I'm dad, you do what I say. That's a different mentality. Now this, now this idea of dad is, has to be a whole thing. It's no longer just this sort of edge thing. This was partial object. And this completely fucks everything up. This deflects the whole report recording process up. As the final line says, the disjunctions are subjected to the alternative of the undifferentiated or exclusion. This is, again, another paralogism uh, comes into play here.
1: Yeah, and you've got to keep in mind how something like that in a paralogism is created. Right, We're talking about how one of the partial objects, right, becomes detached, right, and transcendent. And this affects the certifying chain, right? So, you know, they, and they're going to go right back to a few paragraphs. So I won't go too deep into it here. But the, the creation of lack is, is a point about how something gets detached and made whole. Um, and that affects the distribution, right? Because at that point, we are reaching the double bind, right? We're reaching a, a an exclusive uh, use of functionality here, which I like their point here is alienating from the... Uh, what's on the body of the organs, right? It's alienating from the, the different distributions, the different uses that have been made of these partial objects. So I like their, their point that it affects that quite directly.
0: Agreed. Uh, I will continue. The family is therefore introduced into the production of desire and will perform a displacement, an unparalleled repression of desire, commencing with the earliest age of the child. Social production delegates the family to psychic repression, and if the family is able, in this manner, to slip into the recording of desire, it is because the body without organs on which this recording is accomplished already exercises on its own account, as we have seen, a primal repression of desiring production. It falls to the family to profit from this, and to superimpose The repression that is properly termed secondary, this being a function delegated to the family or one to which the family is delegated. Psychoanalysis has clearly demonstrated the difference between these two repressions, but has not shown the scope of this difference or the distinction between their respective regimes. That is why psychic repression, in the strict sense, does not content itself with repressing real desiring production, but offers a displaced apparent image of the repressed by substituting a familial recording for the recording of desire. Desiring production taken as a whole does not assume the well-known Oedipal figure, except in the familial translation of its recording. Translation, betrayal. I actually think I want to just go to the next paragraph. Uh, we're too away from the end, and I just think I'm, I'm going to continue. At times we say that Oedipus is nothing, almost nothing, within the order of desiring production, even in the child. At other times we say that it is everywhere, in the enterprise of domesticating the unconscious, of representing desire and the unconscious. To be sure, we have never dreamed of saying that psychoanalysis invented Oedipus. Everything points in the opposite direction. The subjects of psychoanalysis arrive already Oedipalized. They demand it. They want more. Newsflash. Stravinsky declares before dying, my misfortune, I am sure of it, came from my father's being so distant with me, And from the small amount of affection shown to me by my mother, so I decided that one day I would show them. If even artists give in to this, it would be a mistake to stand on ceremony and hold to the ordinary scruples of a diligent psychoanalyst. If a musician tells us that music does not attest to active and conquering forces, but to reactive forces, to reactions to daddy mommy, we have only to play again on a paradox dear to Nietzsche. Will barely modifying it, Freud as a musician. I will continue. No psychoanalysts invent nothing, though they have invented much in another way and have legislated a lot, reinforced a lot, injected a lot. All that psychoanalysts do is to reinforce the movement. They add a last burst of energy to the displacement of the entire unconscious. What they do is merely to make the unconscious speak according to the transcendent uses of synthesis imposed on it by other forces. Global persons, the complete object, the great phallus, the terrible undifferentiated of the imaginary, symbolic differentiations, segregation. What psychoanalysts invent is only the transference, a transference Oedipus, a consulting room Oedipus, of Oedipus especially noxious and virulent, but where the subject finally has what he wants and sucks away at his Oedipus on the full body of the analyst. And that's already too much, but Oedipus takes shape in the family, not in the analyst's office, which merely acts as the last territoriality. And Oedipus is not made by the family. The Oedipal uses of synthesis, Oedipalization, triangulation, castration— all refer to forces a bit more powerful, a bit more subterranean than psychoanalysis, than the family, than ideology, even joined together. There we have all the forces of social production, reproduction, and repression. This can be explained by the simple truth that very powerful forces are required to defeat the forces of desire, lead them to resignation, and substitute everywhere reactions of the daddy-mommy type for what is essentially active, aggressive, artistic, productive, and triumphant in the unconscious itself. It is in this sense, as we have seen, that Oedipus is an application and the family a delegated agent. Even by application it is hard. It is difficult for a child to live and experience himself as an angle. And I'm not going to uh, actually try to uh, even attempt to do this The footnote is at the bottom, if you want the English. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just saying, I'm just going to read straight from Artaud's English translation. This child, he is not there. He is but an angle, an angle to come, and there is no angle. And yet it is precisely this world of father-mother which must go away. It is this world, split in two, doubled, in a state of constant disunion, also willing a constant unification around which turns the entire system of this world maliciously sustained by the most somber organization. If, if you would like to read it, Michael, you're more than welcome to. Um, it's a wonderful piece to end it with, though, uh, Arto. How all of it works? All of it. Um, representation, our own repression, how it comes from, how it works, is not Oedipus. It is not psychoanalysts that put it upon us. These things were here. Uh, Psychoanalysts are playing around on the surface of such things and are digging around trying to find it. The nature of repression begins with how we structure a child as they grow and a person as they desire and as they learn how representation works. It's an amazing uh, section. I adore that ending so very much. Any thoughts any questions any comments
5: i uh yeah definitely like uh the the part where uh he says uh of they they say of course that uh, everything which the unconscious does is uh making speak um uh according to transcendent um um, um customs uh and and so on uh, th- that is actually the exact same point which Sartre makes in being a nothingness but he concludes that um therefore the unconscious does not exist and uh, here they attribute it to um a, a, a more yeah it, it's pretty it's actually kind of unclear or obscured uh, i think they're, they're not very clear what 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 this means you no know, the to the to the uh, unconscious does it I mean is is, is it just that uh, psychoanalytic uh, psycho because and it, it, it like on the one hand you say like okay uh, psycho uh, analytics uh, psychoanalysts uh kind of misuse the uh unconscious you know they they use it the wrong way but uh, and this has great effects you know this is a great problem but on the other end, um they say um but yeah still the unconscious exists uh like uh, a clean slate you know so how can how how can how how are those like things how can they um exist you know together how how, how can they be put to together I I fo- found that a, a little bit of a, of a ki- ki- kind of a weak um point um uh, point to, to make that to, 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 because uh, you can't say, you can't have uh, one and the uh, one uh, uh, you your your what's the, the saying like your 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 uh, your bread and eat it at two or something. Um,
1: you can't have your cake and eat it.
5: Yeah, exactly. And I think they're 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 getting that cake and eating it at the, at two at this point. I, that, like, I like that. I like ah. that. I think that's fair.
1: See, I actually disagree, though, because I think that argument only works if, if you're going to follow Sartre and, and go for something like, um, right, the move that, you know, consciousness becomes the a way of dealing with this whole thing, right, and intentionality. And, you know, like, you can go that way, but for Deleuze and Guattari, I think that will be insufficient because it, at best, um, one, they don't agree that the, the unconscious doesn't exist, but more so... Like when they're, when they're setting up this process, and everything, right, and particularly the psychoanalysts uh, and the transfers, they're talking about how psychoanalysis here um, transfers desire in a sense, right? So this is a wonderful play on displacement because it, it's really clever use of the transference here, in that what the unconscious produces
5: transference. Right? Transference.
1: Mm-hmm. gets transferred, right? So it gets displaced onto something else. Here we're talking about incest now. Now, in terms of the unconscious and that thought, it's production. Like at best, I think you can only argue that with consciousness, you can work with the pre-conscious, right? It's not going to get you, um, at least for losing water, it's not going to get you for, um, into the actual production of the unconscious and uh, everything it produces in terms of subjectivity, these and connections, right?
5: Uh, sorry, was that a question or uh, uh, hypothetical? Eh, a hypothetical?
1: It's a mannerism of mine. No, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's not fine. going to take it's you fine. that far back to put it in, in a statement. <laughs>
5: hmm. Well, look, um, in, in the beginning they basically said that the socius, um, the desire of the socius is analogous to uh, phenomenology um, and, and uh Sartre was of course in being a not a phenomenologist and in in his ph- philosophical work i am i am never if i am talking about Sartre i am never referring to his existential works so um in his um the, the philosophy so the socius uh, would be um would be pure um objective um um the pure objective implication uh, of the other uh, upon um, uh, just consciousness because unconsciousness is uh, not really um, a part of the of uh, phenomenology because Husserl uh, and Heidegger did it uh, treat the unconscious at all did it talk about it and Sartre just um, just uh, talked about it and said okay I, I'm not going to talk about it so um, what was said in, in regards to phenomenology like the it's just consciousness so the socius would be a pure conscious being and uh, in this paragraph uh, in the, in their own reasoning then uh, the socius would be in this case the psychoanalytic society so we're talking about the pure conscious being of psychoanalytic society so um, if you are like purely conscious then of course um, and uh, you, you can add, well, because they do this often, of course, they, they, up till now, and they, they will do in the future, of course, because we already b- read the book, you can add the unconscious and uh, play around with that a little bit. But to say, okay, so uh, the, this what, the, this um, consciousness of socius, psychoanalytic socius, has, does not affect the unconscious goes Against everything um, which is which is you know that it goes against all the progress I, that we made you know and I, I th- don't know if that's
0: th- true I think uh, let me let me try to say because I think i I think I know what uh, so it's it's not saying that the conscious doesn't affect the unconscious like that's it's saying that one uh, one produces the other uh so saying that the conscious doesn't affect the unconscious i'm not sure that that is like the right wording i'd use, but that the unconscious produces the conscious
5: Well, the and- society societal uh conscious right so i'm not saying about the i'm not talking about cogito i'm talking about uh conscious as as um um the 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 socius, you know the, the conscious of the socius. um maybe uh the 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 law would be an example of the or uh, of that um um the like the the the, the a manifestation of uh, uh the concept of the law you know which which uh, which can happen of course in uh institutions at times uh like for example literal um uh, uh like criminology writes about uh people uh now nah, of course it's, i i'm not talking about it's just gonna talk I'm, more than I, I actually uh want to about it today i'm uh, i i'm uh, so I, I, I'm not ta- talking about it again, but like the law would, would be an example of uh, consciousness, uh, of social of, of, uh, social con- uh, consciousness. Um, and um, yeah, the, but the, the unconscious, unconsciousness, you know, um, they, they treat the, the basically what, okay, the, like the, the, the fallacy more or less in this thinking is that for Deleuze Guattari in this section at least, they basically work with two uh, sets of unconscious, and that, that's that's of course like Guattari has this has this view like he has, um, possibly but, four sets of unconscious. So it is not for well, maybe not that strange a thought, but it's not explained in the book. So I think it's just in the book. It it doesn't uh, really make sense. It it, it is uh, kind of um, uh, it it doesn't line up uh, for me. And I t- so it again I mean, it, it works really for better. me. Yeah.
0: Works for me, but like I, because I know, I I think we're reading it differently, which is what I like. Jack, you? Well, but again, it doesn't line up phenomenologically,
1: right? Because I know I know the I know the paragraph you're referring to, and if I remember correctly, they're saying they don't say the socius is analogous to a conscious being. They say we're making a phenomenological point to make a case in point, but it's not meant to be. I don't think they're. I, I think they say. Um, something to the effect of we're not trying to put this into phenomenology in a larger sense right we're not going to do a phenomenological analysis we're just going to make um, a point here to prove a point and so with the socios like and when they talk about the earth i don't think they're talking about it as a conscious being especially when they talk about the earth becoming a madhouse um and this is where I think it isn't really interesting. It is. I agree with you. There's influence from Sartre. Um, he's cited in the notes, right? Particularly the critique of dialectical reason. Interestingly enough.
5: Oh um, really? I, I, I didn't see the notes. I I'm not not sure if I have to. By addition. But,
1: but that what would be the thing, though. No. Deleuze and Guattari don't. I don't. I don't read this book as phenomenological. So when they're talking about the unconsciousness production. Like at best you can talk about the pre, because this is hugely different from Sartre in that respect, right? For him, you have to work with the consciousness, kind of like you're saying, to solve all this. You know, you have to work with intentionality, right? And that's where he's going to build his ethics. For Deleuze and Guattari, this is an ethics that's built into the production of the unconscious, right? And how the how it's interacted with. It's like the paralogisms in that, and and the creation of like uh, codification, right? There's an ethics in relation to how that affects the unconscious's production. But there's also an ethics in how the unconscious produces itself. Because by losing watery, we're always produced as a result of this, right, as a residuum, and we're produced as a collective subject, right? So this is the other thing. It's not even the unconscious that Sartre was dealing with. Because when he's – and I've only read Transcendence of the Ego. But when he criticizes Freud and – I believe it's Piaget – no, Janet. When he criticizes Freud and Janet, right? He's working with a very personal unconscious, right? That each mm-hmm. person has. The losing Guadari don't have that confine. And that's a huge difference from early Sartre and probably his later work too.
5: Well
1: okay,
4: yeah.
0: Well, does anyone have any questions? <laughs> that was way more complicated there. I like it. It's just what put... Like, I now have fucking questions because I don't know Sarch very well. Like, I can't even have this discussion. Let's... Um, I, I will say... I We not get so you starting, so Ken's gone. Uh, we're finishing up here. Uh, any last notes or comments? Postgird, did you have a good time? Alright. Good. I'm gonna go ahead and close out the recording now, and we can continue talking. I just mm-hmm. need... I've, I've got work to go do, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Bye. glad we got through it. This is this works. Thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, this was great. This was fun. I like it. Uh, I, I just wanted to say, for what it's worth, I did enjoy transcendence.
1: You know, it is a good essay. I just don't think it's what they're doing here.